0: Welcome to the Cranberry Chronicles, a podcast where we'll be discussing all things cranberries, including where they come from, why we love them, and how they love us back. We'll be delivering a fresh science-backed perspective on health, wellness, and nutrition trends translated into a language that we can all actually use. I'm your host, Bonnie Tab dix You'll find me on Instagram at Bonnie Tabdix and BTB Media or at my website betterthandieting.com. So whether you're a registered dietitian, a health professional, a wellness enthusiast, or just a cranberry connoisseur, we welcome you. Today we'll be discussing the confusing and often misunderstood topic of food labels, a subject that is personally dear to me, not only because I wrote a book on it, but I am also one of those people that loves to go food shopping and just ask my kids since they were big enough to sit up in a cart, they came to the store with me. The supermarket is a giant classroom where we could learn life lessons that extend far beyond those that you may learn in school. I'm thrilled today to have our esteemed guests with us, two powerhouse dietitians who could help us deconstruct some of those confusing terms on food labels and make food shopping easier and healthier. Our first guest is Annette Maggi. Hi, Annette.
1: Hi, Bonnie, thanks so much for having me today.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. And our next guest is Liz Shaw. Liz is a registered dietitian nutritionist, certified personal trainer, mom of two, and owner of her own practice, Shaw's Simple Swaps. She is often seen in the media, translating the latest science into an easy to understand fashion. You can find her featured in publications such as Women's Health and Pop Sugar, as well as on Instagram, where she serves up simple recipes to inspire a healthy lifestyle. Thank you, too, Liz, for joining us today. Thank you so much, Bonnie. I'm looking forward to this. Oh, I'm excited, too. And welcome, both of you, to the Cranberry Chronicles. Well, you might be surprised to hear this, but when my agent first asked me to write a book about food labels which later became read it before you eat it, taking you from label to table, I immediately said, no. I thought the topic was too difficult to decode. And frankly, I actually thought it was too boring to cover. But then I realized not only that the food label is a pathway to good health, but it also needed to be explained in a language that consumers could understand, especially since surveys have shown that about half of us don't even read food labels. So let's get to an obvious question here that may not have such an obvious answer. If food labels are so important, why do you think that most people don't read them? Liz, would you like to take this?
2: Yeah, you know, and I will start by saying I use my own family, my extended family, my mom and dad as a lot of inspiration and why I think people are so confused because my parents don't have a science background. They don't have a nutrition background. And every time I go up to their house, they have a new, my mom has a new Costco find or something. And she's like, but look at the package. You know, it said low sugar or it said fat free or some of the things that, you know, she grew up in this generation that still is not necessarily in tune with what to look for on a label. And as we know, it's very individualized. So I think it's the confusing mixed messaging that people who don't have a science background that don't necessarily know where to start when it comes to their own health and they see these these front of package labels and they're so confused, they're so in awe that they don't even turn it around to look at the back.
0: Oh, yeah. I think it's a big problem. In fact, my analogy for the front of a package is that the front of a package is like a trailer to a movie. That it sort of gives you a taste of what's inside or what's going to happen, but you really have to watch the whole thing if you want to know the whole movie. Well, you really have to flip that package over if you want to know what's in there. And that, what do you think about why people are not reading food labels? You know, Bonnie,
1: it's interesting because I do a lot of work with retailers. And when you think about the grocery store today, right, there's over 40,000 items in a typical grocery store. So when you're standing in the aisle, it can be overwhelming. You're just like, where do I look? What do I look for? All of those things. And so I think this sheer volume of products, while we love the ability to have all these different flavors and different new products and products that are from all over the world, it's also definitely overwhelming. Unfortunately, people still consider grocery shopping to be a bit of a chore. And so they also maybe don't want to extend the time that they're in the store to actually look at the labels. And so I think there's a lot of work being done to really simplify the information on the label and get people the information they need in a quicker, easier format on that label. And when deciphering and choosing between products.
0: I so agree with you. And I think especially over the past two and a half years, more people have started ordering items online because they didn't actually want to go into the stores, let alone go into the stores, spend a little more time and read food labels. So I do think that time is a a huge factor. You know, I have literally been quoted in hundreds of articles about my book, but by far the number one question that I'm always asked is, what is the most important thing to look for on the label? My answer usually sounds kind of vague, just like the answers I give my my kids when they say what's better, this or that. Um, But my answer is often the same, which is that it just really depends. So my next question to you is, what do you two look for on the label? What stands out to you when you're food shopping and why?
1: I think, Bonnie, honestly, on this, and I always recommend to people that they really pay attention to the serving size because that's so crucially important of the serving sizes are standardized on all food labels, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it equates to the portion that you eat at home. I think many of us who have children and have had maybe teenage boys who a bowl of cereal might be actually four or five servings of that cereal is quite a bit different than if they just ate one serving. And so for me, I think that's a really key one to look at is how do you say, is this a realistic portion for what I eat or someone in my family eats? And then what is the nutrition based on that serving size?
0: Yeah, I I think that the serving size tells the story of whatever comes next. And I also raised three boys, so <laughs> a bowl of cereal was really a box of cereal. But I, I understand what you're saying. That's a perfect example. Liz, how about you? What do you look for with little kids?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I will say probably the first thing I'm looking at is dietary fiber. Um, how much fiber does this product have in it? Especially because I'm I'm kind of already evaluating the products to make sure that they're lower in sugar, lower in I guess, honestly, one of the first things I'm looking at, I have, I'm a mom to a son with a dairy allergy. So rather than necessarily the nutrition facts, I'm looking at the ingredients to make sure that there's no dairy because he has an EpiPen, you know, we're carrying that around and it's just um, become a new stage of life for us. So I've kind of actually taken a second step for fiber as much as we love fiber in my house and really looked at the ingredients first. Whereas before I would just say, okay, what's the fiber? What's the protein? Okay. It's it's fairly decent added sugar, you know, um, as far as a lo- lower amount and then go from there. So I think it just varies when it, before I had kids, I was looking at different things. And now that I'm a mom, I'm looking at different things. And I'm sure in the next phase of life, like you ladies, I will, you know, I will have a different mindset too. So it, it's just so fascinating. I think looking at consumers and really what
0: is driving their decision to purchase too it really is very interesting and you know looking at fiber first makes you a very unique person <laughs> because most of us in this country are not getting enough fiber so i think that 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 is unique but i really hear what you're saying and i do think that as we're talking about with personalized nutrition the different phases that you go through may represent different numbers that speak to you the most and what's interesting is that the hottest number on the food label is still calories and yet most of us don't know how many calories we need, what a calorie is. We estimate more or less than we really need. So it is quite interesting what we look for. And today there are so many things that cause us to go shopping for, for so many other factors. And now more than ever, people are also focused on where their food comes from and the impact that it has not only on their bodies, but on the planet. So food labeling is an easier way for consumers to answer those questions, but they don't really necessarily understand them. So another question that I have for you, if food wears an organic label, what does that symbol actually mean to consumers? Because it does mean a lot of different things to people. Liz, would you like to take this one? Yeah. You know, and like you said, it does mean so many
2: different things. You ask any person out there what it means. My mom, she sees organic and she thinks it's better for you. She's like, Liz, I bought this organic applesauce. I'm like, that's great. You know, we will absolutely include it. Do you come to my house and see conventional applesauce or conventional apples in my house? Absolutely. And I will say I'm I'm a very equal opportunity produce pusher. As a dietitian, I just want people to eat more produce. We know that Produce consumption is down. We need to, we all need to be eating more. It can have tremendous impact on our health. So when I look at the bottom line, rather than confuse people or anything like that, my my messaging is very simple, is just eat more of whatever you can afford. Sometimes that might be the organic produce because it's cheaper at your market or it's accessible. Sometimes it's gonna be conventional. Just feel good about putting whatever form you
0: have available in your cart. I totally agree with you. And you know, I think that all foods can fit philosophy is something that I know you believe in. I have always believed in that. And I think that when it comes to buying organics, sometimes it could even be an emotional or a philosophical decision as opposed to being based upon the nutrients that the food actually consumes. So again, I think that it's just buying produce that probably is the most important factor to look at. And then maybe buying in season because you may be able to get organic less expensively when you buy it in season, but otherwise it's best just to have produce no matter what kind you're buying. So I totally agree with you. Okay. Another misconception, it relates to fresh versus frozen foods. Both options will provide you plenty of health benefits. Yet, how do you feel that this label and even where you buy your food in the store, frozen, fresh, canned, how does that change perception when it comes to buying food. Uh, Annette you want to start with this one?
1: Yeah Bonnie actually I think it's interesting right because we see a lot of messaging that first promotes fresh and there are definitely great options in the fresh produce aisle but I'm a big believer in all forms too because sometimes the problem with fresh is it might go bad and you might end up throwing it out before you actually use it and so Frozen products are a great way to have something available when you're ready to make that item or that recipe. So if you're not necessarily going to use produce right away, I like to buy frozen because it's a great option. I have a funny story about cranberries actually, because about a year ago now, I was in Northern Wisconsin. I live in Minnesota, but I was in Northern Wisconsin at a cranberry festival. And they were selling these beautiful, fresh, cranberries in like um, five pound bags. And so it was awesome because you got it right from the grower right there locally. And so I bought that bag and then froze it and then had it available throughout the rest of the year and through the winter to make cranberry breads or cranberry sauces for meats or so many different options. I think the other thing that's important to understand about frozen is that oftentimes products that are frozen are frozen right away. And so the nutrition is really retained in that process. And so it's still a very, very nutritious product.
0: I also loved your cranberry story because it sounds to me like you think outside the sauce. That <laughs> my, And I love to use cranberries and combine it with something like poultry. I love using it in my cranberry bread. So I like the way you think about that. Liz, you want to weigh in about fresh and frozen foods? I went to a panel recently that was influencers who were Gen Z
2: speaking about the way they cook on uh, TikTok and social media, different platforms. And they were so adamant about fresh and it made me step back in my, my thought process. Like, where are we, where are they getting this information? Because, I think that there's a big misconception or a big mislearning opportunity in the generational gaps that we know. You know, I think of my grandma, I don't think she ever had fresh in her house when I went. It was always, always the peas, carrots, what, frozen veg. And we just, you know, every time we went to grandma's, that's what we had. And as my mom prepared some fresh, some frozen. So I think that's just kind of the, the mentality I've always created in my house. So I think that there's you know, again, I, I like all forms of produce, but I think there's a big, depending on what generation you're in, a gap as far as understanding the, the nutrition, the value of
0: having both fresh and frozen in your kitchen. I agree 100%. And, you know, as people that work with media... We see a lot of those headlines, like lots of times I might write a story, but I can't write my own headlines. But one of the headlines that really bothers me is shop the perimeter of the store. Uh And I usually try to say, let's make the most of the middle, because whether it's canned food, frozen food, dried food, even when it comes to produce, dried produce um, or fresh all of them could fit in our lives. And I think that when you have something like frozen or canned foods, you also have food at your fingertips, I like to call it. So if you don't feel like shopping or you didn't shop, you could store it. You could buy things that are on sale and store them that way. So I agree with you a hundred percent, making the most of the middle so you could shop the entire store.
2: Yeah. And I think that that's too. Cause I know my kiddos, they love dried fruits. They love anything that they can throw and make their own trail mix type things. And so, you know, we're not blessed with the beautiful cranberry festivals out here on the on the West Coast, <laughs> but, you know, we love, my daughter calls them like anything pink, red hues she's down for. And so when we buy those, we buy the, the dried cranberries out here, you know, it's something that one, I can feel good about. I don't have to put an ice pack in our lunch with, you know, it's, it's easy, convenient,
0: and it's just um, a good source of nutrition for her that we don't have to feel any questions about. Thank you so much. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's funny, you know, we all come from different times in our lives now, but I know I see this even with my grandkids. Now I have two grandkids and the dried cranberries, like they come and look in my cabinet. They know exactly where I keep them. (laughs) So they know where to get them. So yeah, it makes me feel good too. Okay. So changing gears a little bit, when it comes to agriculture, because we're talking a lot about produce and sustainability, we know that sustainability is a hot topic now and it's becoming a major factor in consumer shopping habits. So how do you take sustainability into account when you're shopping? Just adding a little more to our shopping list, you know, what 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 do you think about when it comes to sustainability? Annette, you wanna take a shot at this first? Sure. And, you know, Bonnie,
1: and I'm sure you've had many conversations about this in your career and uh, recently because it is a hot topic. I think the challenge around sustainability is how do you define it comprehensively? Right. And I give a huge shout out to every farmer across the country and across the globe because they are doing so much work really around sustainability. You talk about like cranberries are a great example where there's a lot of fourth, fifth, sixth generation farmers. They want to protect that land to be able to pass it on to the generations after them, right? It is their greatest asset. And so they really treat that with reverence and respect and understand what it brings to the future generation. So I think this is an amazing topic, honestly. I don't think we see today a ton on the labels around sustainability because I think there's a lot of work still being done in this space. But one thing people can definitely look to is kind of the locally sourced or grown in the USA. And that's a great way to understand that that food has traveled less miles to get to their grocery store, to get to their table. And you know, cranberries are a great example of this because of where they're grown. I love the idea too, that cranberries are an indigenous food. Bonnie, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Here in Minnesota, we have a restaurant called Awamni by the Sioux, which is based on all native foods. And so they actually only use foods that are indigenous to America. And they were actually the James Beard restaurant of the year this year. And so ingredients like cranberries are really being honored for the fact that they are indigenous to this country. So it's really great.
0: Wow, I love that. No, I actually had no idea about that. And, you know, one of the things obviously, you know, I love cranberries, but I also get kind of annoyed that cranberries are typecast to the Thanksgiving time of year when actually, just like you mentioned with your frozen cranberries, I use them all year long too. So I think that a restaurant like that really could showcase how they can be used in so many different recipes at any time of year. That's very interesting. Very interesting. Liz, how about you? What are you thinking about the sustainability topic? Yeah, you know, I will say it's obviously we're all in different regions.
2: California has been very much so on a, I want to say going green, just trying to be more sustainable. I remember a decade ago when I was working for UC San Diego in their housing and dining department, how we were one of the first energy efficient buildings and dining campuses and things like that, that we were trying to do. So I will say that it's, it's such a different, like, I want to go back to what Annette was saying about the farmers, because I think we hear younger generations talking about that farmers aren't doing enough, that especially get a lot of pushback when people are are talking about beef farmers, cattle farmers, things like that too, That they're not doing their part. And you know, I married into a family that's owned a farm for 120 years. And so I go out to their farm and I see how much that they put into it. And they're not an organic farm, you know, but they're here in the USA. They've been in the USA for as long as they've been in existence, you know, and seeing what my father-in-law, what his father, you know, what they put into their farm, I think is so important. And that's what makes me go back to like the locally grown, the grown in the USA, because people will I think it's consumers get so confused about what they're hearing from different media platforms from different headlines that we have to remember that grown in the USA that these farmers are doing their part to make it the best possible source use of land use of resources that they have at their fingertips and I think that that's a, a story not often being told you know I, I just think it, it's such a confusing topic like you both were saying I think one of the things I do because you know people want a bullet point what can they look for If it's a packaged product, is it recyclable? You know, that's one something really easy. I think of like whether it's, you know, the little TerraCycle, TetraCycle on it or something like that, just anything like those simple, tangible tips that they can take home and use at the market.
0: I agree. And I think that this is something that we will be seeing more of because talk about Gen Z, I think that younger generations are questioning more um, about where their food comes from, who made it, is it something that's sustainable, as you said, even packaging that would be biodegradable. I think that all of this is what we are going to be seeing more of because, you know, the main goal of a food label is to communicate the nutritional value of the food, but the value of the food also has to go far beyond just the food itself. And I think it's also, you know, where it came from. But, you know, just as Annette mentioned that sustainability is confusing, there are a few other terms that are also confusing and some of them which I wish would just go away. One of them is about net carbs. And a lot of people don't realize how diet trends actually affect food labels. And net carbs is one example of a newer term that's widely used on low carb products, yet it is not even legally defined. This net carbs is all over the place and it has no definition. So although we can't really rely on what people think, can you explain what net carbs means, Liz, just, you know, as interpreted as what it really is, as opposed to what people think it means?
2: You know, Bonnie, I'm so glad you asked that question because I just had someone ask me about this the other day. Consumers are carb crazed and confused. And it's important to note that this term, again, has no legal definition. We know all different types of carbs are absorbed differently in the body. So simple, complex, the amount of fiber, everything else that it contains. When people calculate the net carbs, they take the total carbs and subtract dietary fiber and sometimes sugar alcohols, depending on who you talk to, because again, it's unregulated and come up with net carbs. This tends to be big around keto followers, the low carb lifestyle, as you said but it's not something i myself promote or really regularly talk about in any of my media work so i would love
0: to hear um you know what you ladies think about this too well i mean i think that basically that term was created to sell products especially surrounding keto diets paleo diets and for anyone who wants to point the finger at carbs as being the bad guys because carbs will you know go in and out of favor we finally have welcomed fat back to our diets but carbs are still the one nutrient that we all love and love to hate because we love it so much, like carbohydrates. But one of the things that we know that we can rely on or that I am really happy about is that as of January 2020, food labels did change where now added sugar is on the label. And that was never on the label before. It used to be that there was a combination of added and natural sugar. So now added sugar is actually on the label. So we commonly encounter this added sugar in the world of cranberries. And Annette, if you'd like to take this one, I'd love to know how you would talk about added sugar in relation to cranberries, especially how cranberries compared to the sugar in other fruits. Yeah, it's, a, it's
1: really an important topic, Bonnie. If you look at the data in the Dietary Guidelines for Americans, it talks about that the top sources of added sugar in Americans' eating habits are sugar-sweetened beverages and desserts. So you notice that fruits are nowhere in that first order, right? And I think this is an area where people have to really look at nutrient density. So cranberries, as we all know, are a tart fruit. And so you add sugar to make them palatable. But when you compare the total sugar in cranberries to the natural sugar of many other fruits, it's very equivalent. And so I always encourage people to look at that because of the many other benefits that a fruit like cranberry brings, such as urinary tract health and gut health and cardiovascular health, as well as cognition. And so I think we have to really separate out the idea of the added sugar Label addition is so helpful when it comes to sugar sweetened beverages, desserts and things like that. But when we think about fruits, it's really about looking at what's the total fruit as well as the nutrient density and the other benefits that that food provides to overall eating habits.
0: I totally agree. Totally agree with you. Liz, what do you think as a mom shopping for your family? I know that added sugars must be top of mind. You mentioned that earlier, but some foods have added sugars with also as a saying added benefits. So could you tell us your take on added sugar? Yeah.
2: And I think it's very much so similar to Annette's, that, you know, what is the most nutrient-bang for your buck? So we know when we're looking at cranberries, they have all those benefits. And also, you know, you're You're trying to appease a a tiny toddler that has so many different emotions around surrounding food. One day they love it. One day they hate it. You know, so we talk a lot about um, my daughter knows fiber. She talks about fiber with her friends at school, which is weird. But I love it because obviously she's listening to some things. And so we talk about the different forms of food and how it makes her happy. So she loves cranberries over other dried fruits, don't want to disparage any others, but you know, because of the color, she's pink, red, hue obsessed. So those bring joy to her lunchbox, you know, and we put it in the little bento area. That's the little circle of other moms listening. know, because that's her little bit of sweetness. She loves it. And it, I know it's good for her. So she calls it her pink candy. So I, not that I'm comparing can- cranberries to candy, but you know, it gives that, that palatability with the added sugar in there. So again, I'm okay with it. The tartness, I was actually, Discussing with a client recently about all the research that's coming around uh, around the cranberry powder that's coming out with different studies and how it's been used because that's a great pink hue to add to the muffins, you know, different things like that that's providing the other the other nutrients in there as well. So I think that this is it's an area that you have to look at with a fine toothed lens and know your kids, you know, um, what what amount of added sugar and what
0: sources are going to be right for them. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the studies because there actually are. Um, So many new studies that have come out related to cranberries and cognition and uh, cardiovascular health and gut health. In fact, it was even mentioned on a popular morning show the other day uh, talking about the benefits of cranberries. So I was really excited to see that. It was a really good show. But of course, I always love when news is actually truthful news as opposed to news that we really need to ignore. Well, here's something that I think will shock most of our listeners and that's that said, there is a word that we all talk about, yet it is not easy to describe. And it is actually undergoing a renovation now. And that is the word healthy. Our attention to food labels all ties to our desires to live a healthy lifestyle. But healthy is actually in the process of being redefined by our government. So, If we asked each of our listeners to tell us what the word healthy means, I'm sure that we would get lots of different responses because it depends on your own knowledge. It depends on your experiences. But the word healthy actually is getting a makeover because the last time it was defined was decades ago. And modern science has shown us that this definition absolutely needs a makeover because here's what healthy used to mean it used to mean. A food actually currently means, until it's newly defined, it means a food containing three grams of fat or less per serving. So now we know that foods like nuts, avocado, fatty fish, and certain oils provide way more than three grams of fat per serving, but yet they also provide way more in terms of benefits to support heart health and diabetes and brain health, and they're also deliciously satisfying. So I'm thrilled that this word healthy is in the process of being updated, but it's really not as easy to coin as you might think. So Annette, can you tell us how words like this actually do get defined? And what do you think will happen to the word healthy? And even more than that, when?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is such a hot topic, right? And Bonnie, you know that healthy has been under discussion, I don't know, three, four years already, and we haven't seen a final decision from the Food and Drug Administration on a new definition of healthy. I think one of the challenges historically has been that FDA in food labeling tended to focus on minimizing negative nutrients like saturated fat and didn't focus enough on the quality of certain nutrients. So when we think about fat, we know today science-wise that it isn't the amount of total fat, it's really the quality of the fat. Are they healthier fats or is it fat that can increase your risk of disease or contribute to heart disease and things like that and so i think that has always been a challenge on the nutrient facts panel for example saturated fat has been required on a nutrition facts panel for years and years and years but we do not require polyunsaturated and monounsaturated fats which are the healthier fats And I think that's always been a myth, but you see that translated then into claims like healthy, because they can't say, well, we want foods that are defined as healthy to have this amount of monos or polys, because those aren't included on the nutrition facts panel. And so I think there's a lot of challenges. And I do think companies that have gone to the FDA and said, listen, nuts are healthy. Avocados are healthy. Salmon is healthy, even though they're over that total fat guideline have been really smart. and it makes sense completely. So I honestly don't know if we'll see a decision on healthy and what the new definition is within probably the next two years. The FDA is currently looking at, is it a symbol? Is it just the word? What does it actually look like? But I might contend, I mean, the question I throw out there to you too, is the term healthy in that sense and having one definition of it Relevant to today's shopper or to today's consumer, and I don't know that it is honestly, because we do have personalized nutrition now, and people are looking for a specific things. But your thoughts?
0: Well, you know, I think that another thing that I usually like to say is that, you know, asking one food to provide everything you need as like healthy is like asking one instrument to provide the music of an orchestra. You're not going to get it. So I think that I'm afraid that if they slap the healthy label on a food on the front of the package, that people will think that that food is healthy, yet another food that doesn't have that label is not healthy. But you could look at something like pizza, for example, and is that really unhealthy? Well, you know, for growing kids, getting calcium in the cheese and the vitamin C in the sauce, whatever, could be a very healthy food for them. But again, then we go to, well, depends on how often you eat it and how much you're eating. So I think that it's way too undefined. And I'm not so sure that that is going to be helpful to have healthy um, on a label. What about you, Liz? What have you seen in social media? Have you seen a lot surrounding the word healthy or I guess it's, you know, misused a lot? Yeah, I think that that's where it tends to be in the, the social media
2: world is it's misuse because we have so many uncredentialed influencers on different platforms who have these massive followings. And they create something in their kitchen. Like, I'm just going to say the healthy soda trend that just came out, you know? And um, frankly, I, I don't even recall what's in a balsamic vinegar or something like that, that honestly, it's probably something I would try as a natural cleaning agent for my bathroom, you know, like just watching the different, um, and I, I love the dietitians who are on social media that recreate these viral trends and like demystify them because it's just appalling and it's scary. That's honestly, it's scary for consumers who don't have a science background, who are seeing these health haloed focused people that they admire promoting these different false facts that could really do some harm, long-term harm for them. So similar to Annette, I don't believe that there's, I think defining healthy will be for companies who want to put it on their product. I don't think it's going to be for consumers because we have all defined our own definition of healthy for many years. You know, I remember in 2016, writing an article surrounding a big food company that was getting sued at the time, you know, and discussing those things on what health is for me as a dietitian and looking at the types of fat as Annette discussed. So I don't think it's necessarily going to have a benefit for consumers. I worry in the social media world, if we don't get more guidelines on the type of content creators that unlicensed people can create, it's going to do a lot of a lot of harm for our future.
0: Yeah, I, I agree, especially social media. And I think that unfortunately, that's where a lot of people get their information and news. Yet there's a tremendous amount of misinformation there. We could talk about social media for another whole podcast, but we'll hold that till the next time. But, you know, we don't know when healthy will appear or whether it will appear at all on a food label. But as I mentioned, the new food label did come out in January 2020. And even though it may have looked the same, especially for those people who don't read labels to begin with, but to dietitian, they noticed that some of the changes really were big. and. Let's talk about some of those modifications, because one of the modifications was that a nutrient like potassium was added to the label in that little section below the nutrition facts panel, because potassium became a nutrient of concern, meaning that the great majority of us, and I know I have seen studies that show 97% of us are not getting enough potassium. So, Annette, can you just tell us what a nutrient of concern is? And what should we be looking out for on the label?
1: Yeah, it's a great topic, honestly, Bonnie. And I think it's important over time that the Nutrition Facts Panel evolve. And so I think this is a situation where FDA was really smart to say that we know potassium and vitamin D are nutrients that are very beneficial to health and that most consumers aren't getting enough of. And so that's really this idea of nutrient of concern that across the population, we know there's benefits to getting these nutrients, um, but people just aren't getting enough. You know, vitamin D was the other big change that FDA made to the Nutrition Facts panel, adding it along with potassium. Where I live in the Midwest, Liz, you guys don't have this problem in California, but when we hit winter, we just don't have nearly the exposure to sun. And vitamin D is a nutrient that most people get by exposing their skin to sun, which the body then makes vitamin D. And so that's a great example where yes, people in colder winter climates need to make sure they're paying attention to vitamin D. And so adding that to the food label was really important.
0: Is there something that you would like to see added or changed on a food label if you could have a wish?
1: (laughs) You know, like I said, just a minute ago, I mean, I think that the nutrition facts panel should be a better balance of positive nutrients and negative nutrients. We focus for so long on the negatives, saturated fat, added sugar, but quality of fat is important. Quality of carbohydrates is important. So to me, putting polyunsaturated and monounsaturated on the facts panel would be important for sure.
0: I agree. Liz, how about you? What If you could change anything on a food label, what would that be? Yeah,
2: that's a great question. I fully agree with the fats because I think that that's something we all educate quite frequently on is the importance of healthy fats in a diet. You know, And I think I'm I'm still waiting for all companies to follow suit with the addition of added sugars. I know that that was something that was supposed to be done a, a while ago, like 2020, wasn't that the, but they, they gave them a grace period of three years. I think it was 2023 when they have, have to officially. So I think added sugars, I still pick up products that do not have the total added sugars listed out on the bottom. And again, I think a important balance of positive and negative, but I think for those people who are moms and who are looking for things like that, I think that that is important.
0: I, I totally agree. Well, thank you so much. Just to sum up our thoughts here, I know that taking the time to read food labels can be tedious. I spend a ton of time in the supermarket, but I actually, as I mentioned, enjoy it. But you don't have to read a food package like you're reading a novel. You don't have to see look at every single item. So it's important to just focus on the words and the numbers that mean most to you and to your family, as we've described here. But you shouldn't have to be a dietitian or a mathematician to put healthy food in your cart either. And it's just a good idea. We've heard a million times, make a list, check it twice, and also try to have some fun in the store. You know, even comparing products, talking to your friends about what you buy, having, you know, food food shopping parties on video. I mean, these are things that are really easy to do, but also really can help teach you a lot about what to store in your pantry, your fridge and your freezer. Um, and at this time in the show, we'd like to ask our guests about their favorite ways to eat cranberries or tell us if you have a favorite recipe in which you like to incorporate cranberries. So Liz, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I will say I'm a big modern day appliance fan. So when I wrote the Instapot cookbook for dummies, I had some fun with, with frozen cranberries because that's what I have available year round out here. And I made a Instapot cranberry chia jam that my family loves. We put it in yogurt. We put it on literally you name it jam. It's on my daughter's PB&J for lunch, you know, it, or you could just eat it with a spoon and it has the benefits of the, the chia and the
0: cranberry in one. So that's probably one of our favorite ways. Well, that's funny because during the pandemic, I actually ran out of jam, so I decided to make a cranberry chia jam, and I ne- it oh. was like magical that it actually yeah. gelled the way it did. It was, it was so much fun. I thought I like invented something, but I didn't, of course. But yes, that's one of my favorites too. How about you, Annette?
1: Funny, you and I talked about this a little bit. I love like a cranberry sauce on poultry. I just love that. Little bit of tart, little bit of sweet with a protein. I love that. But one of in my family, we are assigned holidays that you host on and I do have Christmas Day and I would love to serve brunch because so rarely do you get to serve brunch and make brunch foods for people and for a group. But I have an amazing eggnog French toast recipe that has a cranberry sauce on it. And it is amazing. So that's a great combination. Cranberries with an eggnog kind of profile too goes really, really
0: well together. My family loves it. Wow, that sounds so good. And I know cranberries with something green around Christmas time really shines. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Annette and Liz, for joining today. And, And thanks to our listeners for following along. And we hope that you like what you hear and that you'll write a review on Apple Podcasts. And please tell your friends about us. So we welcome you to send in your questions. Let us know what you'd like to hear about for future shows. And also, please let us know how you enjoy cranberries. And if you post any pictures, please tag us at the Cranberry Institute. We would love to find out how you love cranberries. And thank you so much for joining us today sponsored by the Cranberry Institute. It's a not-for-profit organization founded in 1951 to further the success of cranberry growers and the industry in the Americas through health, agricultural, and environmental stewardship research, as well as cranberry promotion and education. Thank you again so much for listening and for sharing your time with us.